Welcome to the Central Community Church Podcast. We exist to be authentic followers of Jesus, leading others to follow Him by loving God, loving people, and serving our world. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand, and he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, (coughs) the God of the fathers, and the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even those two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who has made him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, See that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let my people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it, 
and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then, she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness and meet Moses. So he went and met with him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he was sent to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had promised or spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sights of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshipped. Morning. Good to see all of you. Uh, if you're uh, maybe new to Central Community Church or you're just entering uh, the, the series that we're teaching, series that we're doing through the book of Exodus, what we're doing is we're linking um, our teaching uh, in this book of the Bible with uh, a promotion of Freedom Session, which will be coming uh, September 15th, I do believe it is this year. And the reason we're doing that is because uh, Exodus is all about God uh, delivering his people out of their bondage um, and saving them from the enslavement, the hard labor that they found themselves in in a foreign land. And Freedom Session is a healing discipleship journey which does exactly the same thing. It's a 28-week process of, um, of looking internally, uh, looking to God, uh, looking to others, and uh, discovering, uh, really, it's, it's taking your story, what, uh, the, the journey you've been on, and basically rewriting the ending, having a different outcome, where you live free, where you live whole, where you live healed. I'm totally excited about this series and about the fall freedom session because uh, if you noticed on the video, the, the main teacher, his name is Ken Dick, uh, he and his wife Bonnie, originally from Saskatchewan, uh, was a youth leader in the church that my wife grew up in and then when I uh, joined that uh, church, West Portal Church in Saskatoon, uh, Ken became my uh, youth leader, my mentor, and he has a, had a huge part in me entering pastoral ministry uh, this was 30 years ago. Ken would take me out for uh, breakfast before school. He would challenge me on certain issues in my faith and my walk with Jesus. He would drop me off at school. He'd go to his full-time job. And evenings and weekends, he was our youth leader. He basically put as much time into youth ministry as he did into his regular job as a mechanic and uh, just an outstanding teacher, uh, man of God, man of integrity. So I'm really looking forward to this. If you were here last week, Pastor Matt preached from Exodus chapter 3, and verses uh, 7 through 10 of Exodus 3 basically outline what's going to happen in the rest of the book. Then the Lord said, Surely I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is what God wants for us. He doesn't want us to live in, in fear, in depression, and anxiety, and stress, and bondage, and enslavement. He wants us to live in a good land. He wants us to be free. And that's what Exodus is all about. That's what the cross is all about. That's what Freedom Session is all about. 
to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, the Lord said to Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And then Moses started making excuses about why he should not do this. And uh, Pastor Matt talked about the first, of, the first two of five excuses that Moses would make as to why he was not the person for the job. First excuse was, who am I? <laughs> who am I that I should do this? And, uh, and God gave him the assurance, I will be with you. It's not about you, it's about me being with you. Second was, well, who are you? If I go to the people, who am I supposed to tell them sent me? And God said, I am. Just say, I am who I am sent you. They'll understand. I will reveal myself to them again as Yahweh, as this God who is great and mighty. God is God and he is enough. This was the basic message that God was sending Moses but Moses continued in chapter 4 to make excuses as to why he was not qualified to what God had asked him to do. I think making excuses um, about why we're not the person for God that God wants us to do, uh, wants uh, to, to carry out his purposes through us, I think those excuses are common, aren't they? I mean, how many of you have ever had an excuse about, no, God, I'm... I don't want to do that. I, I, I'm not the person that you have for me. That's too difficult. Can I, can I get anyone to identify with me? A number of years ago, I went through a very, very difficult experience. Some of you know my, my story. Happened in the context of pastoral ministry. I went through a very difficult experience. I was in full burnout mode for two years, and I didn't know it. My ministry was suffering. I'd never burned out before, and I, I, I hit the wall so hard that for the first time in my life, I needed medication to sleep. My doctor put me on stress leave, and my ministry uh, in this particular church ended poorly. Um, a lot of it had to do with me. Some of it had to do with more pain inflicted on me by other people, and I left very dejected, very hurt, very depressed. And um, after that experience, uh, this was after 18 years in pastoral ministry, I said to God, never again. I'm not doing this anymore. And I came up with every excuse possible not to enter pastoral ministry again. I said, I'm done. And for a season, actually it was 13 months, God allowed me to be done because I needed to experience his healing and his wholeness again, freedom in my life. By the way, I've been through Freedom Session I, I did that back in, I think, 2010, about six years ago. This, this uh, ministry, this discipleship ministry has been around um, probably for 12, 15 years, something like that. So I did it about six years ago. And it was those principles that I needed to rely on again in order to begin to move forward in my life. I said to God, um, if you want me back in ministry, you're going to have to make this absolutely clear. You're going to have to dump it in my lap. You're going to have to give me some 
very serious signs, miraculous signs, that this is really what you want me to do with my life. So in order to hear the rest of that story, uh, you're just going to have to take me out for coffee or breakfast. <laughs> because I like doing that with people. So, uh, so there you go. Here I am, by the grace of God. God has an answer, and he has a solution always to every excuse that we can come up with that we think will excuse us from doing his will. And God would not let Moses off the hook. Rather, God provided all that Moses needed in order to carry out his purposes for his glory and for Moses' good, despite the hand, mouth, and foot disease that Moses was plagued with. And when Moses finally obeyed God, the people had a chance to believe again in God and God's wonderful plan of redemption and deliverance from bondage continued to unfold. So you may be thinking to yourself, where are you getting this hand, mouth, and foot disease stuff? It's actually, you've heard of hand, foot, and mouth, right? I'm, I'm just changing the order a little bit to hand, mouth, and foot because Moses had it. First of all, let's look at the hand disease that Moses had. Um, and this is linked to the third excuse that Moses makes in chapters 3 and 4. So today we're going to look at excuse 3, 4, and 5. The first excuse is this. Then Moses answered God, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. That was Moses' excuse for not getting involved. They're not going to believe me. What was God's answer to him? The Lord said in verse 2, What is in your hand? What is in your hand? He, he didn't even go there to, to Moses' excuse, they're not going to believe me. Instead, he, he just asks Moses a question. What is in your hand? And he said, A staff. A staff. You see, Moses had no confidence at all. Hence the excuse. That's why we make excuses, right? We don't have confidence. We, we're scared. We're like, no, no, I'm not the guy. God, you must, you must have got this wrong. We lack confidence. We have insecurities. It's common to everybody. Believe it or not, I stand up here with many insecurities. Often you look at the preacher and say, he has it all together. We don't. If you want to know about my insecurities, you're going to have to take me for lunch. Don't just coffee, okay? <laughs> it's going to cost you to find out what those are. No, better yet, join me at Freedom Session, and then we will discover together what they are and how God can set us free from those things. That's, that's, a, better, that's a better answer. Moses was lacking confidence because he didn't yet understand God's authority and God's power and the authority that God was giving him as a leader. Someone asked to get, by God to get involved, uh, to get involved in God's plan to deliver his people. Moses immediately focused on himself, as we all do. So God had to teach him and show him that this plan to deliver his people from their bondage had nothing to do with Moses, really. Yes, Moses was used by God, but it wasn't about Moses. It wasn't Moses' plan, and it wouldn't be Moses' power, his capability, his charisma, his charm, his good looks, his lineage, his heritage, or anything that would accomplish what needed to be accomplished. This was about God. 
and his power and his authority that he was giving to Moses. I like how the progression happens in Exodus chapter 4 from verse 2 where the Lord said to him, what, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. If you go uh, to verse 20, all of a sudden the language changes. So Moses took his wife and his sons after he finally made the decision, okay, I'm going to go. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took what? A staff? No, he took the staff of God in his hand. The staff of God. That's what this was all about. The staff of God, God's staff, represents his authority, his power, and his dominion. And we're going to see that as the text unfolds here this morning. You know, I've heard of preachers, in fact, uh, Pastor Chris and Pastor Matt and I uh, watched a YouTube video this week of a, of a preacher. Um, uh, Pastor Chris said to me, Ellen, come, come and watch this, and please don't, don't preach this. <laughs> don't preach this. We, 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 we listened to a preacher say that Moses picking up the snake, which then, you know, turned back into the staff, is just, it's about us just grabbing life by the tail and just making something of ourselves. That's crap. Can, can I say that in church? Is that okay if I say that? I, I could use stronger language, but we'll just keep it, you know, moderate this morning. It's crap. This was about God instilling his fear into a, a, and his power into a weak and humbled person. Moses was completely brought to his knees before God. A person who couldn't do anything outside of the sovereignty, the grace, the authority, the power of his hand, the hand of the Almighty. That's what this is about. That's what that staff represents. And later on, when Moses would actually deliver the people out of Egypt by taking them through the Red Sea and God parted the waters, Moses held out the staff of God with an outstretched arm, with his hand. And an outstretched arm, particularly with a rod or a staff in it, as, as Moses did when the sea parted, was a figure of God's active, sovereign, and mighty involvement in the affairs of men. And that's why David wrote, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. What comes before that? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, of death, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. They represent the power, the authority, and the dominion that God has over all things, including death. We're going to see that in this passage. That's why the staff of God is a comfort. Because God is in control. And his plans will not fail. So this ultimately was about the hand of God and the staff of God leading his people to safety, deliverance, and salvation. It is the mighty hand, right hand of God in Scripture that accomplishes what no other can accomplish. So, again, verses 3 through 5. And God said to Moses, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it, but the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob 
has appeared to you. The first sign that Moses was to give the people was about his authority over a couple of things. That's, that staff turning into a snake and then back into a staff again is very, very significant in, in Egyptian culture. Have you ever seen, what, what's associated with Egyptian culture? You know, you've got the image of the pharaoh, but you always have the image of what? A snake, a cobra, with a, with a hood flared out as it's up, ready to strike. And the, and the, and the, Egyptian, the Egyptians worshipped snakes. They had snake gods. And so this was very, very significant in God's dominion and his power and authority over the so-called snake god that the Egyptians worshipped. But in Scripture, who is ultimately the serpent? Satan. This is about God's dominion over Satan and the opposition that God's plan and purposes has, has always had by Satan. It is Satan that wants to keep us in bondage. Amen? It is Satan that wants to keep you in bondage, not experiencing the full freedom of God. And freedom session, and, and the, which really is on the authority, it's very clear, this ministry, that it is on a, by the power and the authority of Jesus Christ and the cross of Christ that is able to deliver us. But there's a, a very practical process to go through to get to that place. But it is about God's dominion over the evil one, which is very, very clearly seen all throughout the, the New Testament. All throughout. Um, going on, verses 6 through 8, um, the hand of God, his authority over Satan. Um, and again, the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. And he's put his hand inside his cloak, and he took it out, and behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they will believe, uh, they may believe the latter sign. If they don't believe the first time about the snake, then they're going to believe, they may believe with the latter sign, your hand inside your cloak turning to leprosy. This represents God's authority again over disease, the fact that anything that keeps us from living a full life, leprosy, sickness, disease, is under God's control. I'm going to talk a little bit later about what that means in our culture. Verse 9. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, then you shall take some water from the Nile, pour it on the ground, and the water that you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Again, involving Moses' hands to literally dip water from the Nile and pour it out on the ground. Blood, throughout Scripture, is representative of the life of a person or an animal. The life of a, of a being, of a, of a human or of an animal, is in the blood, the lifeblood. When blood is poured out on the ground, when it is spilled, that means death. And the, and the, the blood of those who have been murdered or died will cry out from the ground, it says in Scripture. That represents their death. 
And this is representative and so significant about God's sovereignty over life and death. And the spilling of blood here is significant. But Moses had, secondly, not just hand disease. He didn't want to do what God was asking him to do with his hands. He had mouth disease. Uh, Excuse number four, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Now, this is a little confusing for me because if you read what Luke wrote in Acts chapter 10, or sorry, chapter 7, verse 22, Luke said, And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in his words and deeds. The NIV says that Moses was powerful in speech and action. What is going on? We're going we're gonna to talk about this a little bit later too, but you see, God, God uses uh, the foolish and weak things of the world to confound the wise and the strong. And the wisdom of the Egyptians just wasn't cutting it. So God said, you know what? I need somebody who's not full of themselves, not wise. He's had the stuffing knocked out of him a little bit. Here's a guy who's completely dependent, powerless, not wise, not eloquent. Moses, remember, had spent a good 40 years in the desert as a shepherd being prepared for this moment in his life. A lot of time to be humbled before the Lord, to humble himself before the Lord. And he had lost all of that eloquence, I think. His power of the Egyptians was just gone. And that's why he was a perfect candidate for this position. We're going to talk about this a little bit later as well. Have you ever heard of uh, glossophobia? Anybody heard of glossophobia? I looked it up this week. Because there's so many people that have a fear of speaking in front of others. Am I alone? Come on. I remember one time, like, I'm, I'm a preacher, okay? And, I, and so I have to speak in front of people. It's, I think it's God's calling on my life. But when I go around before the service, as I, I, I greet people, and invariably people put out their hand to shake mine, I don't unless they put their hand out. Normally I put my hand out, but I don't do this because my hands are cold and clammy. They are right now because I get incredibly nervous to speak in front of you all. I do. In fact, I get up on Sunday morning, I don't even eat. I have my coffee and I have my water, but I just want an empty stomach so I'm clear and I feel well because I get so nervous in front of all of you. It's true. Been doing this now for 22 years and it hasn't changed and I think it's a gift from God to me because I'm so dependent on, on God that he put words in my mouth and that it's not about Eldon, it's about what he wants to say. Glossophobia is the fear of public speaking. Out of the top 100 fears that are most common to most people, glossophobia is number 13. That's very high on the list out of 100. You know what number one is? Arachnophobia. Yeehaw! The fear of spiders crawling into your tent as you were camping this summer. Just dream about that tonight. 
There was one time I went to this party or this event. I don't even know what it was. And here, I, I think I was a student preparing for, for ministry. Or how had I already been in, in pastoral ministry? I can't remember. But we go to this thing, and then we find out that everybody has, is put on the spot to give a one-minute talk in front of the whole group on a topic that you have no clue. So they draw a piece of paper, and they say, you are speaking on this. <sighs> like, how many of you would just be trembling at this point? <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. And so my, my paper was pulled, and Eldon, you have a minute or two minutes, I forget what it was, to speak about lint. <laughs> lint. Well, it's in your pockets, it's in your dryer, it, you know, all kinds of stuff. So you have to just speak randomly for a minute, but it was terrifying. I was just like, what am I going to say? Here's the answer. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Verse 11. Who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God says, I'll do what I want with your mouth. Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. So Moses' excuse about having mouth disease didn't cut it either. Third, Moses also had foot disease. Hand, mouth, and foot disease. Excuse number five, but he said, Oh Lord, please send someone else. Just send someone else. Like, you know, Euro Cup final is starting at noon. I really don't want to be here. I got to go. It's, I'm not the right guy. I got stuff to do. <laughs> Answer. Then the anger of the Lord. Like, you don't want to make excuses for too long, people, okay? Like, number five. This is number five already. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled. It, it wasn't a raging fire at this point, but it just it started to kindle, right? And God was like, okay, whew, I'm patient. Like, the, <laughs> I'm patient, but it's starting to wear a little thin here. It was kindled against Moses, and he, and he said, okay, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. Behold, he's coming to meet you, and when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. So God said, I'll put the words in your mouth. You put them in Aaron's mouth. And um, I will be with your mouth, and I will be with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand the staff with which you shall do all the signs. Isn't that amazing? How God will adjust. He adjusts to our weaknesses, he knows, but his plan will still unfold. But he, does, he doesn't let us off the hook. He wants us to be obedient, to be faithful to the things that he's calling. But he'll partner us up with somebody who will shore up our weaknesses and, and help things to move along. So God said, go, get on with it. Don't forget the staff. Aaron will be with you. And oh, by the way, so will I. I'll be with you. It's interesting as you read from this point to the end. I, I, I won't read it again. We've already heard it. But verses 18 to 31, you see finally Moses go to the point where all of the things that God had told him and Aaron to do unfolded. And you see them unfolding in reverse. He took Moses 
hand, mouth, and foot disease, and he, he did it in reverse, and Moses went, and he overcame his foot disease, and then it says that he spoke, <laughs> and he overcame with Aaron his mouth disease, and then he performed the signs that God had asked him to with the staff of God, and we see his hand disease being overcome. So it was reversed from hand, mouth, and foot to foot, mouth, and hand. And the purposes of God that he had for Moses and for his people ultimately all pointed to Jesus continued to unfold. Let's make four observations this morning and conclusions about this text. How do these things apply to us? First of all, God's redemptive plan is active and it's ongoing. It began, God's plan began before the creation of the world. It was activated the moment Adam and and Eve ate the forbidden fruit in the garden. God knew that, that man would choose to disobey. Sin came into the world. So his plan came into full activation the moment that happened. It, it, it continued to unfold throughout the Old Testament, all of it pointing to and in preparation for Christ. If you read Hebrews, it is very clear that this was about Jesus ultimately in the cross and him delivering people from their bondage, their sin. And Moses was a prophet who prepared the way for that, one of them. And God's redemptive plan was completed in Christ, but now continues to be revealed and spread to the world because Jesus said, I'm not coming back to collect my people to be with me forever. I'm not coming back until this message, the good news, is heard to, all, to the ends of the earth. And so now this message is, is spread to the world through the church, through Christ's body. And Christ's body means that we are the hands, the mouth, and the feet of God. It's about us. And it's about God's plan continuing to unfold. Paul makes it really clear in Ephesians, Colossians in particular, but in other places, that through the church, through you, through me, through other Christians throughout this globe, the mystery of Christ will be made known in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm. We're it. We're Moses. So why aren't we more active? How come come the Lord hasn't returned yet? How come... All of the people to the ends of the earth haven't heard about the good news of Jesus Christ who wants to deliver them from their bondage. Well, there's many, many answers to that question. But three of them are the three that Moses struggled with. There's a hand disease in the church. We don't understand and we don't live by the power and the authority that God has given us through Christ. And we need to get on board. Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, the Great Commission, I'm sure 90% of us could recite this from memory. But just before Jesus went, ascended back to God, to the right hand of the throne of God, he came to his disciples and he said to them, all authority, 
All authority has been given to me, in heaven and on earth has been given to me, said Jesus. Go, therefore, go and make disciples. That authority that Jesus has because of what he did, he accomplished on the cross in his obedience to the Father, has been transferred to us by the Spirit of God, and we have authority just as Moses had authority in these areas. We have, through Christ, authority over Satan. The serpent, we do. Man, this is like a sermon in itself, but Jesus, you know, when he sent his disciples out to do ministry, two by two, the 72 he sent out, he gave them authority over Satan, over demons, that they would submit. And what's interesting is, when the, when the disciples came back, they're rejoicing that the demons submitted, then God, you know, Jesus put the brakes on. He said, whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute here. This is not your focus. I'm glad that you experienced this because it's true. But get excited about the fact that your names are written in the book of life. And friends, that's our focus as a church. Our neighbors, our friends, the people around us, everywhere we go, whose names are not in the book of life. And we need to make sure they are there. That's our focus. And along the way, we will encounter Satan doing everything he can to stop people from having their names written in that book. And so with the authority Jesus has given us, we deal with it. Right? You look like you're a little bit shocked this morning to hear maybe a Mennonite pastor talking this way, but hey, this is, this is the authority Jesus has given us. Man, I'm preaching now. I better move on because time is flying. It's summer here. Uh, number two, God has given us so hand disease. It's because we don't understand our authority over sickness. Scripture is pretty clear that it's by his wounds we are healed. And I know, I know that ultimately this is spiritual healing and that a person's ultimate healing is when we're delivered <laughs> you know, really from this world and, and we're with, with God. And that is ultimately our healing. We rejoice in the fact that, that believers in Jesus Christ, when they die, it's not a, a somber moment. It's a celebration because they've been delivered, finally. But we better believe that God also has authority through us over every other kind of sickness while we're here. And you know what? The great sicknesses and needs for healing in our culture, the Western world, do not necessarily stem. In fact, they don't really stem from unclean water and malnutrition or lack of medication or access to good health care, like in so many parts of the world. But our sicknesses stem from deep emotional pain and relational brokenness and void that impacts not only our spirituality, but every other facet of our lives. And we come up with every drug of choice possible to try to medicate and deal with our pain in unhealthy ways. And God wants to deliver us from these sicknesses. Particularly the disease in our culture of sexuality gone perverted and awry. Uh, Pastor Ken, who wrote Freedom Session, refers to one of just many but a very significant one, one of the severe sicknesses of our culture that he calls the pornification of our society. 
Pornography, a drug of choice for many men and women today, has evolved into a sexual degradation of an entire culture. It's not just pornography, it's pornification. It permeates our entire culture. It's a sickness that needs the healing touch of God. Amen? And it begins here with us in the church. And we need, we need to exercise the authority of Christ to do something about that. We sang about it this morning. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. I imagine God looking down on our culture, the sick culture we live in, and his heart is breaking. He's weeping for what he sees here. And we want to address that as a church, and we want to help people experience freedom. But we need to exercise as well God's authority over sin. We have authority. James 5, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him or her with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed, delivered, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working, and Freedom Session is so much about this. It's confessing our sicknesses and our sin and allowing God to heal us. Jesus said, he taught us to pray this way, you know, to forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus said, if you forgive men their sins, they're forgiven. If you don't forgive, they will not be forgiven. Freedom Session, the church, teaches people how to forgive. Have you ever been deeply wounded by somebody? Are you stuck in bitterness and unforgiveness? If you are, you will not be healed. This is, a, this is Christianity 101. We need to learn how to forgive. And when we hurt others, we need to learn how to make a proper amends to them. Not to ask for their forgiveness. That's between them and God, whether they want to forgive you or not. But you need to go to people and you need to say, I wronged you. I sinned against you. I was wrong. And you were hurt by me. And I am sorry about that. Is there anything I can do to repair the damage? I'm passionate about this, friends, because it is these kinds of issues that keep us in bondage. It is kind of these kinds of issues that, that drive people into divorce and depression and drinking and drugging and sitting in front of the TV for hours playing games because they can't deal with their life. And a hundred other drugs of choice. <laughs> All right? And God wants us to be delivered from this. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And friends, the same spirit that was upon Jesus is now in us. And he's given us the same mandate. So the church has a hand disease. 
but we also have a mouth disease. Can I encourage you this morning? Even as I'm up here preaching the word of God, which is a real stretch for me, <laughs> I want to encourage you with 1 Corinthians 1 and uh, 17 through chapter 2, verse 5. For Christ did not send me, Paul said, to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom. Sound familiar? Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs. That's what, that's what they've always wanted a sign. That's why Jesus refused to do signs. And Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For con consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. That describes, I think, most of us. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. This is the great apostle. In weakness, in fear, in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible, in plausible words with, of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Be encouraged in that, friends, this morning. Be encouraged in that. It is so evident throughout the New Testament that God clearly would, he told his, his apostles and his disciples, I will tell you what to say. Paul said, you know, pray for me that I might declare the good news of Jesus fearlessly as I should. Even, you know, Paul had weakness. We also have foot disease. We need to be willing to go. And we don't need to go far, friends. Just, walk, just take a walk through your townhouse complex. Take a walk up and down the street where you live. Romans 10, for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call in him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, declaring the good news? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Therefore, go and make disciples, and I will be with you. I will be with you, Jesus said, to the very end of the age. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will give you power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will have power. 
and you will preach the good news beginning in Jerusalem and to the ends of the world. Isaiah said, you know, when he saw God, he said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. He, he knew that he was just done before the Lord. I can't speak because of the filthiness of his lips, the uncleanness of his lips. And when God touched his lips and he dealt with Isaiah's uncleanness, his sin, Isaiah's only response was, here am I, send me. Send me. And you'll find that when you go through something like Freedom Session or you take a serious look at these issues and, and you're truly set free from all of these things, your response will be like, hey, here I am, send me, I'm ready to go. <laughs> and, and listen this morning, friends, God has everything. He has everything we need. He has everything. Because he is everything. I'm going to mention the last three really quick by way of conclusion. Number two, redemption comes at the cost of the firstborn son. Um, we see this here. Israel, the firstborn. Pharaoh's firstborn. This is like, if you don't let my people go, I'm going to kill your firstborn. It all points to, if you read Colossians 1, Jesus Christ being the firstborn, not meaning he was created, but because he was the significant one, the firstborn over all of creation and the reason why and the firstborn who would go to the cross to pay the penalty of our sin and death, which is death. Jesus Christ is the firstborn one described in Colossians 1. A.W. Tozer in The Pursuit of God said, self is the opaque veil that hides the face of God from us. It can be removed only in spiritual experience, never by mere instruction. As well, try to instruct leprosy out of our system. There must be a work of God in destruction before we are free. We must invite the cross to do its deadly work within us. We must bring our self-sins to the cross for judgment. We must prepare ourselves for an ordeal of suffering in some measure, like that through which our Savior passed when he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Let us remember, when we talk of the rending of the veil, we are speaking in a figure, and the thought of it is poetical, almost pleasant. But in actuality, there is nothing pleasant about it. In human experience, that veil is made of living spiritual tissue. It is composed of the sentiment, quivering stuff, of which our whole beings consist. And to touch it is to touch us where we feel pain. To tear it away is to injure us, to hurt us, to make us bleed. To say otherwise is to make the cross no cross and no death at all. It is never fun to die. <laughs> to rip through the dear and tender stuff of which life is made can never be anything but deeply painful. Yet that is what the cross did to Jesus. And it is what the cross would do to every man, every woman, to set him free. Jesus Christ, the firstborn over all creation, was put to death, a painful death, that we might be set free and we must embrace the cross of Jesus Christ in order to be truly delivered, healed, and released. At the cross is ultimate power and authority over Satan, sickness, and sin. I find it interesting that the first miracle that Jesus did to inaugurate his ministry was he turned water into wine. Go all the way back to the story of Exodus. And like God said to Moses, draw water. 
pour it out and it will become blood. What does the wine, what does the cup represent? What did Jesus tell us to do in remembrance of him to eat of his flesh and to drink the cup which poured out for us gives life. Number three, the sign that we belong to him is circumcision. Circumcision of the heart. I wish I had time to unpack this weird little paragraph in the middle where <laughs> God was sent to the text is unclear whether it's to, to, to put to death Moses or Moses' son, Gershom. I think it was Gershom. But the reality was that Gershom was uncircumcised. Those in the Old Testament who were uncircumcised were not recognized as God, as God's people. They were to be cut off from God's people. But you see that changing, prophesied in Ezekiel, made full in Christ, that those who are circumcised in the heart and when Christ takes up residence, we are recognized there as God's people and we are spared the wrath of God. That's another whole sermon in itself, but I want to conclude with this. Number four, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I love how this passage ends. I love how it ends. And the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him and Moses and Aaron and, and Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord which he had sent him to speak and all the signs he had commanded him to do and then Moses said and Aaron went to gather the, together the elders of the people of Israel and Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did all the signs in the sight of the people and the people believed and the people believed and when they had heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. This morning, do you believe and will you worship? Will you give God glory? And secondly, will you be healed of your hand, foot, and mouth disease that others might believe, that others might give their lives to Christ and they might, their lives might glorify God? That is the ultimate challenge of this passage for me and for you this morning. Let's bow in prayer, and then let's sing together in response. Lord, thank you so much for this passage. It is just so rich. It is so beautiful to, to, to see how Moses responded despite his excuses, his weaknesses to you, to be used of you in a mighty way that people would be delivered from their bondage. Oh God, would you would you heal of us of our hand, our mouth, and our foot disease that others might put their faith and trust in you, that you might be glorified through us, that others might come to praise you and worship you. That's what we want, Lord. We want to see the kingdom of God full of repentant sinners, people delivered out of the hands of Satan, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And we ask for that, God. We pray that you would give us this because it is your plan, it's your purpose. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.